This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the Coast and Country download from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country with me, Helen Mark. The North Antrim coast is synonymous with some really famous landmarks, the greatest of which has to be the Giant's Causeway. But there are also um, magnificent cliffs and, and sandy beaches and then the Carrickareed Rope Bridge if you dare to cross it. But sometimes when visitors come here, they go to all those sorts of places, but they, in a way, might miss out on a real jewel. And for this week's Open Country, I'm on a ferry and I'm off to Rathlin Island. It sits just off the coast, about six miles, and when people talk about it, they use words like unspoiled and spectacular. So I'm going to see if I can find out what lies behind these wonderful claims. And on the ferry with me is Dr Wes Forsyth, who is an archeologist with Ulster University. Now, I know that you've done a lot of work on the island, and you've done this crossing loads of times. Yes, that's Can right. Can you remember how you first felt when you saw this L-shaped, well, sort of reverse L-shaped island in front of us? William but, Petty in the 17th century described it as an Irish stocking whose yes, toe that's good. pointeth to the mainland. Yes, the, the toe... And it still yeah, goes today. That's very good. I like that. I could just see it straight away. I think the first time that we crossed the Sea of Moyle is, the, is a stretch of water we're now um, crossing out to the island was around about 2001. This stretch of water is pretty notorious. It can be very, very rough. And the reason for that is our geographical location. So we are here at the entrance to the North Channel between Ireland and Scotland. Twice a day, enormous volumes of water rush in and out of the Irish Sea as the tide rises and falls. And this sets up a whole series of currents and eddies that are very dangerous around the island. And it is sometimes called Slaunamara, which means the swallow of the sea. So this is the place where the sea swallows boats. I think that mm. says it all. How many people live on the island now, Wes? I think at the moment there's around about 120 people out here, which actually in the last decade and a half that I've been working here has picked up quite significantly. It was about 75 when we started. I think part of that is because a lot of the young islanders, like uh, young people everywhere, will leave and go and travel and do a whole range of jobs right across the globe and then some of them will return to take on some of the uh, livelihoods or farms of their parents and so there's been a return to the island actually in the last decade and a half. Everybody's just raced over to the side of the boat, yes because they're two porpoises. They just arch their backs out of the water and we get the dorsal fin. Isn't that lovely? must be rich feeding grounds for them because they're quite a regular sighting. You will always see them coming in when the shoals of fish start coming back through, in particular mackerel along this area. So we've quite a lot of uh, white cliffs facing us, terraced edges, uh, grass banks and tops. The whole of the island really is underlain by the chalk cliffs that you can see there, which is Cretaceous period chalk, and it's part of the what's known as the Ulster White Limestone Group. And then on top of it, you get a whole series of basalt. It's quite dramatic to see, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, severe and in possibly a little unwelcoming in a way. Certainly the basalt is a very dark uh, colour, so uh, on, a, on a very rainy day it can be quite foreboding, all right. That was probably to the advantage of islanders in some periods in the past, I can tell you. <laughs> 
we've come into the shelter of the harbour and we're just grinding into a halt now. You come into the harbour, there really is a hive of activity. And this is where I've come to meet Liam McFall because what we really want to do is to get a good view of the island and the magnificent bird life. So as the RSPB warden, you're the perfect man to do that with. We're going to go right to the west end. Yeah, as you say, it's a busy place when the ferry comes in here. Uh, you get your toes run over if you aren't careful. Uh, but welcome to Rathlin. And uh, I would suggest certainly up to the top end to the... West Lighthouse Seabird Viewpoint, uh, spectacular sight up there. So we'll leave the roar of car engines and activity and human activity and yeah, immerse we'll, ourselves in the call of wild. Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> swap that for the call of the wild out of the lighthouse. <laughs> yeah. Liam has brought us to the viewing platform, which is halfway down the cliff edge. And Wes Forsyth is with us as well, because you cannot come to Rathlin Island and not take the opportunity to experience what we are doing now. First of all, there's the sound of oh, tens of thousands of seabirds. It's just enthralling watching all this activity. So many species of birds. What have we got, Liam? Well, generally, there's five species that make up all these birds here. By far the most numerous is the guillemot, about 130,000. And then we've got the razorbills, the black and white ones that we see here on the, on the individual ledges. And then we've got the kittiwicks, which are the grey and white ones on the rock ledges with the big nests. And then the other grey and white one we have is the fulmer petrel, and they're on the grassy tufts. We do build a nest, they just hollow out a piece of grass and lay one single egg there in the grass. And then, of course, our puffins. Everybody's favourite, the puffins, mm -hmm. all over the grassy banks at the bottoms and in the burrows underground. Have you any idea how many there are altogether? You're talking in the region of 250,000 seabirds. Internationally important number of seabirds here in Rathlin. You can see there's razorbills right almost beside us here. Just, <laughs> just, they just dropped on the grass there. They usually nest in little ledges and crevices, but these guys <laughs> dropped in short, so they're having a look around there. <laughs> and there's another one just over here, and you can see the chick right in front of it. And we're uh, not talking about a huge area here. This is a very compact space <clears throat> at the western end of the island, and they're maximising every single part of it. Every <sighs> bit of it. It's just, and the sound coming up out of here is like a like an amphitheatre down there, just rising up to us. Another element that's added is the smell. We tend to not notice it because you're here here a lot. Uh, but it's quite a, it's more like a fishy smell because there's a lot of fish debris down there because they're bringing in fish to feed the chicks and there's bits falling down, so it's quite fishy, the whole aroma in the air. And in the air, we have constant movement and flight of birds coming towards the cliff face above us and it's the way they, they approach it. They, they almost put their wings back, the feet go forward and they just land on this tiny little perch. They're very tiny wings, so they have to beat them really quickly to stay in the air. They're not so good at manoeuvring. If you watch coming in, they'll come in low, lower than their nesting site and as they come in, they sweep up and that slows their airspeed down. Many a time they get it wrong and you can see them, they just like fall short or overshoot and they have to take another circle and come in again. <laughs> and they just normally can get it pretty accurate and they just stop beating their wings and they just drop onto their ledge. It's the scale of what's happening here. Don't you feel that, Wes? It's such a, it's such a performance area of, of, of bird life. From our point of view, from an archaeologist's point of view, 
This, of course, also was a means of providing or supplementing the diet and economy of the island in the past. So birds would have been snared, eggs would have been taken on the cliffs in the past, and Rathen is a number of famous cliff climbers, including some of the McFalls, <laughs> Liam is <laughs> descended from. So now he's looking after these birds, but in the past his family were snaring them up and down here. <laughs> That's right. It, 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 as Wes says, you know, the whole economy of the island, there's a lot of revolved around the seabirds. It's moved on from there, but they're still equally as important today for the economy of the island because there's probably about 150 people here on the platform at the minute. And they're not all necessarily you know, avid bird watchers. There's people from all walks of life, and it's just such an amazing sight that they just want to see it and have a look at it. So all those people have to come across on the ferry. They have to have some lunch. They, they use all the amenities on the island. So that, you know that's part of the income of the island now. Now, you're a McFall, and yes. that's one of the island names. Do you know how many generations you go back? We can trace our family back to the mid-1700s mm-hmm. on the island. So, yeah, we've been around a while, and this razor bill's just come in with a big beak full of fish now to feed the chick. Yeah. If you look across here, yeah. they just see her drooping her head down. Uh-huh. The chick's in below the other partner bird. Oh, spreads its wings, shakes yeah. itself. As soon as that delivery's done, that one may stay on and the other one will go off. It'll feed itself and it'll return later with food for the chick and that's sort of the, the way it goes on all day with all these birds. Now, Liam, you are the reserve manager, but as an islander you, you have another job, so you're a farmer. So I wonder if we would go back up on to the top and, and look how you manage the landscape in terms of farming. We're on the plateau of the island. Yeah, this is where we farm our cattle here. They're predominantly Aberdeen Angus. Uh, that's a purebred Aberdeen Angus bull that's with them there. Some across the beast that it is. Yeah, he's a <laughs> lovely animal. He's in lovely condition at the minute. And how important is farming to life on the island? Oh, it's very much part of the whole island life and economy of the island. The whole island is farmed and we would manage the land for a whole variety of habitats and one of our target species the same as the RSPB land would be managed would be for uh, chuff as you know as a small black bird member of the crow family uh, distinctive red curved bill and bright red legs right so that's a rarity yeah, it is a rarity once quite common around here but unfortunately their numbers declined right across the north coast and Rathlin until they disappeared for almost 20 years and since we started doing this type of habitat management that would favour the chuff, uh, we have one pair returned. And the pair that we have here in Rathen now is the only pair in the whole of Northern Ireland. So they're really important. And in fact, just a couple of days ago, they, they fledged two young chick off the, the leads. They, they nest in holes, crevices in the rock on the cliffs. They're very much a coastal bird. You know, they, you wouldn't find them inland at any time. And uh, it's a kind of a, su- a surprise, like Christmas morning, because you don't know what's in that hole in the rocks until it pops out. And we had two popped out there last week, so that's, that's great news. But it's because of the way the land is farmed that it's enabled the chuff to find a home again here. Just yeah, these birds like to have very short grass. The way they feed themselves is by probing down into the soil to find insects and vertebrates in the, in the soil. So if the grass is too long, it doesn't suit them at all so you can see these fields are well grazed down to so the short short grass it's um quite a flower rich grazing field you know you know despite the fact that the cows are working away at it yeah you know you've got your daisies dandelions we've got clover there yeah it is very uh herb rich ground you know and the majority of the island is 
pretty good condition because there isn't a whole lot of chemicals being used mm. at all. What connects you to this place most of all, do you think? I mean, you live and work here. Well, yeah, I mean, just growing up on the island and it's your home and you can't imagine living anywhere else. You can't? No, but <laughs> I'm happy enough here. There is a single road, really, on Rathlin, which has taken me from the West End along the leg of the stocking and then down to the tip of the toe. And this is a wonderful place to get a sense of the geographical location of Rathlin. First of all, if we look directly south, I'm looking onto the very distinctive uh, rock formation and, and headland that is Fairhead. That's the most northeasterly promontory of the island of Ireland. If we move around then toward uh, the east, we get the northern entrance to the Irish Sea. And in the distance, beyond the sea mist, we can see the southern tip of the Mull of Kintyre. And straight away, you know that these three places will have interconnected with each other throughout history. So, you know, you're the perfect person to be with. Dr. Wes Forsyth is, is with me here. Here we are at an island that is situated uh, between the island of Ireland and Scotland across the way. And we can clearly see that the three islands, the island of Britain, Ireland and Rathen, are all intervisible from each other. It's no surprise then that archaeologists are interested in ideas of people and artefacts moving between them. For a very long time, the island's prehistory was dominated by um, the idea of Neolithic visitors coming here and mining a very hard volcanic rock called Priscillonite. And the time period we're talking about here is maybe 6,000 years ago. We didn't have any earlier evidence at all, but only more recently, maybe in the last uh, 15, 20 years, we've begun to find evidence of earlier peoples who are also um, coming out to Rathen and uh, living here. This is pushing us back to about seven and a half thousand years ago now. You were involved in that, Wes? Yes, we did some survey work out here, uh, which helped to confirm that there was a significant Mesolithic presence. So the Mesolithic people were ones who practiced hunter and gathering. Um, we assume they were out here because of bountiful fish um, on the shores, the seabirds, um, and any of other resources you know that may have been attractive to them on the island. And the places where we were finding evidence of them are indeed close to the shore, but not the shore as it is today, the shores it would have been in the late Mesolithic era, which is behind the current shoreline due to um, the changing sea levels after the Ice Age is not quite in the position where it is today. And this behind ah. us is the beach, and it was on the top of that escarpment that we began to find um, these big, large blades um, that are characteristic of the Irish Mesolithic. Made from this hard stone? They're made from flint. But like, just for use on the island? I mean, how many did you find? We found hundreds, but we, bear in mind, of course, we were only looking in a number of locations, and it was quite opportunistic because they'd been ploughed up. So all of a sudden, uh, we're beginning to find hundreds and hundreds of these blades, which certainly gave us an indication that there was a significant uh, Mesolithic presence here. But also their position down in the shore would also suggest that they were interested in marine life and perhaps uh, coming down here to fish perhaps exploiting the seals, which are here as well, or anything else that they may have taken their fancy. So we're on the... Mm -hmm. What so was we're submerged? Coming, this was submerged, yes, in prehistory. And we're coming right down to the water's edge. And there, look, in this there's tiny little sort of inlet, <laughs> there's a seal. Now, it's lying on its back. <laughs> yes, but the kind of, well, there's a number of them across here you can see in there. 
This is one of the places where seals like to congregate in Rathlin. It's nice and out of the way down here. <laughs> Do you hear the seal snorting. snorting? Yeah, snorting in the background. Just walking gently along the headland because I don't want to disturb the seals. There's about 12. Some are swimming and are, uh, some are pulled onto the rocks. Wes, it's not often you can get so close to the seals without disturbing them. Look at that. Yeah, I think the seals are reasonably um, used at this stage that people generally won't disturb them. If you do get too close, they will start to shout about it. Um, but And the younger ones will certainly, you'll find that they'll slip off the rocks and into the safety of the water uh, much quicker than they would have. Yes, one, there's two, a few three. more in there as well. Rich feeding grounds, I presume, a bit like yeah. you, know, you saw the porpoises <coughs> from Absolutely. the ferry. Well, once again, you know, those currents and bringing food and fish past just beyond Ushat Harbour I think makes it quite an attractive place for them to um, they've got a handy source of food just outside the harbour basically and then a nice shelter on the inside As a stepping stone this island um, small that it is mm. there were people down through the great periods of history that set foot here The Vikings took an interest in it because in 795 AD it is the first recorded place in Ireland to have been visited by the Norsemen so there are numerous you know, episodes down the years and down the centuries of people getting caught out, uh, shipwrecks, um, trying to fortify and hold the island, not being able to hold the island, being thrown off the island again, being massacred. The number of huge massacres on the island where the entire population was completely massacred. Who was doing that? The major episode of conflict um, that Rathen is well known for is the 16th and 17th century. But at that period, it was a three-way battle between the Scots, the English and the Irish. Queen Elizabeth had her sights set on conquering Ireland and she sent a number of her favourites including Essex uh, in here to try and dislodge the Scots from using the island as a strategic staging post. Wow! You know our seal that was lying on its back and it was doing yes. all that crying out is another seal has come and it's just lying beside it in exactly the same sort of position and they're quite calm now. Mm -hmm. The parents must be nearby. They look quite juvenile with her. Now I've come right down into the harbour. This is essentially still a working harbour. And there's a little red boat is just heading out now in, into the water. And that's your mum. That's right. Philip McFall. And she's gone out to check the kelp beds. Yeah, my mum has set up a business a couple of years ago now. Uh, we're growing kelp um, for the food market. Great environment to grow kelp in. Yeah, Absolutely perfect with yeah, the, great the tidal waters. Yeah, it's yeah. very clear here and very uh, clean, you know, because the water's so deep and it comes and flooding from the Atlantic four times a day. So, so yeah, the water's clean. You are, in a way, Philip, the next generation of islanders. A young man who needs to find a way to stay on the island, to create an income from the island. Is that your plan? Yeah, well, I don't tend to think about it too much. You know, I'm just from where I'm from and I live here. Uh, so everybody here finds things to do there's lots to do actually you'd be surprised how busy you can be over here because you usually have to get involved in two or three jobs you know there's no so much full-time employment so most people work a few different jobs what have you had to turn your hand to i'm a carpenter actually but again unless i go to the mainland or over to scotland or somewhere it's hard to get full-time work so i tend to just get a few hours here and go and do a few days for people sort of part-time with the carpentry and then also i'm full-time with the seaweed now so 
And what about for you as a young man? How would you describe your life in Rathlin? It's my home and my family's here. I have a lot of family here and there's a lot going on. What about... Look, I don't mean to be nosy or anything. Well, I do, obviously. Let's say you want to find a partner. Do you have to leave to find a bride and bring, bring her back to Rathlin? Well, everybody's different in that regard. I, I have a girlfriend at the moment, and I'll say too much. I, I met her here, but she's not from here. Because you are part of keeping the island alive, your generation. Well, you put it really dramatically, but let's say I don't really think about it too much. Do people talk about the past of Rathlin very much, or are they just thinking about the future? Most people do, you know, they, they like to reminisce about the past and things. But no, there's a lot of forward thinking goes on here, you know, and we're thinking of the future too. Right, there was incredible change in the weather. Uh, it's clouded over and now there's torrential rain, so really I just need to shelter inside, which is quite opportune because this is where I can meet Kate Burns. Kate, I saw you going out in a boat not so long ago. I was chatting to your son, Philip. That's right, we actually got caught in that thunder shower, which is what it was. And uh, yeah, the surface of the water was all bubbling with the, with the rain. And we were going up the shore to our kelp farm, uh, which is 20 acres of sea that we have set with uh, strings of ropes that we grow kelp on. And this is the new industry that Philip was describing. How vital that must be. It's very tough and uh, there's so much about it which is new. Um, but still, you know, it has met with 100% support from the whole island. It's been quite amazing, actually. The islanders are very excited, I think, to see a new industry, actually manufacturing, processing, producing something other than agricultural produce. Or tourism. They're yeah. both vital, but what you're doing is like so endemic to the island, it so fits the island. Kelp was actually the, the cash crop historically back in the 19th and 18th century. Even back in the Napoleonic Wars, it was very valuable because it was used to make iodine for treating soldiers in the battlefield. This is a hub of, of activity, a process that is vital to the future of the island. It is vital. There are not many career options here. Many of the islanders are not really able, for example, to get mortgages to buy or build houses. And, you know, a lot of houses for sale might go as holiday homes and second homes. And what's really nice is we trained up four islanders as lab technicians. And that's enormously exciting, those kinds of skills. When I was driving around, there were a few buildings and I was told that they were former kelp stores. So you're really touching into the history of the island with the future of the island in a way. Absolutely. And I think it's one of the reasons why... There's such enthusiasm because it's a lot of the people, especially the older people, this really resonates. It's their history, the stories they grew up with, and the idea that somebody's still out there making a future, an economic future and jobs, I think really stirs them, and that's exciting. The building, I think it's one in particular, is a stunning two-storey, very large limestone building. It was built around 1780 to store kelp. And... Uh, the building's uh, no roof on it at the moment, but we're actually working uh, with the community association on a plan to renovate that. Uh, if it goes ahead, we'd be in the ground floor, so Rathlin Kelp would be in the kelp store built in 1780, which is such a sweet story. <laughs> but as well, um, the lab side of it's very interesting, so we would be running a sort of tourism visitor component to that too. But what a wonderful way to connect islanders even more strongly with their island to be able to produce something, you know, from the waters that surround it. Well, absolutely, and I, and we're actually looking. In fact, we're working on a designated product of origin status for Rathlin kelp, 
Um, and that, you know, again, defines the fact that Rathlin Kelp was a specific part of the history and heritage of this island. And do you, living and working here, do you feel a strong connection with the place still? Oh, yeah. Islands are a bit addictive. It's like family there and other families have been away and travelled and, you know, you keep coming back. And even there isn't much work and there isn't a lot of money and all that. You just, you can't stay away. It's the atmosphere, it's a sense of community. Um, we have such a lot of fun here. And things are hard, you know. It blows a storm for several days and and things are tough. But, you know, just Rathlin at the moment is better, I think. And it's probably as good as ever been. It is such a go-ahead place. And this, is, this place is an example to any community at the moment. It's just fabulous. <laughs>